And welcome back to a, another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer. I know what you're thinking. Oh my, Zenu! it was only about a week ago that uh, I had a uh, episode out, and now there's another one. And so you're probably and thinking, it's with the same guest. It's with the same guest, yes. It's, uh, Sorry, Stuart. I should have waited for my intro. Oh, that's okay, Stuart. No, feel free to jump in. I'm, it's, I'm glad you feel like you're at home. <laughs> But uh, yes, so uh, I'm just worried that listeners are going to think, well, well, maybe Carl's got a terminal disease, and you know, he's sort of started to crank these out now. You know, he wants like 50 shows before he, uh, you know, before before he dies or something like that. But yeah, no, I, I don't have a terminal disease. I, I mean, death I, death is probably a disease uh, by the uh, the maybe the, one of the definitions of disease. You know, so the breakdown of the normal functioning of uh, you know, some human biological system or something. So, uh, yeah, that's neither here nor there. Stuart, yeah, Stuart Robbins. Uh, now, 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 last week, I can say last week, I introduced you as the the resident astronomer, but um, you're you're, you're kind of holding out for more. And uh, so, I, I thought I would offer you a position with uh, uh, the conspiracy skeptic. Uh, produced by the Hive Mind Group, uh, I thought about offering you the position of staff astronomer. Whatever works. Whatever works. Okay, staff astronomer. Can I call you? So you are cons- the sure. conspir- Okay, you're the conspiracy skeptic's official staff astronomer. And uh, yeah. all right, I'm going to look for that uh, on your resume on LinkedIn. So. <laughs> all right. So yeah, actually, Stuart is back because he wants to. Uh, wants to uh, bring us up to date on like a, the two things you talked about uh, last week. Uh, there have been a couple new developments, and uh, so I thought, so you wanted to come on and talk about that, correct? Yes. All right. Yes. So I, guess, I guess the first one was uh, T-PICS. Actually, uh, th- there's one before that. Uh, so there's actually uh, three things that I need to address. Oh, okay. Uh, the, f- the first is that apparently um, vampires don't live forever, and so, like, once we enter the big, uh, you know, the big heat death of the universe, and the uh, vampires' molecules are spread apart, um, they're dead. So, uh, okay. Did you get a lot of uh, nasty email about that? Uh, no nasty email. Just a friend of mine uh, thought that he needed to correct me. So, yeah, I oh. thought that I should put that in there. Okay. Yeah, because it's like a, I don't know on. Um, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. A couple weeks ago, uh, Dr. Novella made a little joke about Anne Rand being sort of the leader of a cult, and I thought, oh, he's going to get email. And, and sure enough, he got email. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I just thought maybe, because, you know, the vampires are really big right now, and, and, and uh, it's a very uh, sort of emotionally charged, you know, sort of issue, like... Uh, you know, are you for this one vampire or the other vampire? I, I don't watch any of these vampire movies, but I just know people are they're printing T-shirts and they're calling themselves members of, I don't know, Team Fred or something like that. I don't know. So I thought... Uh, I, yeah, that, that's beyond my level of nerd. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I just I just was worried. Okay, so we haven't sort of pissed off the legions of teenage vampire fans. Yeah, not that I know of anyway. Okay. All right. So that was issue. So the other issue is uh, uh, T-Pix, the uh, yes. the Type One A supernova that uh, someone the, said was going to kill us all. Well, the the star that may one day 
probably become a Type 1A supernova. Okay. Yeah. And this was um, mostly my fault. Um, I should have read Phil Plate's blog because on January 7th he goes through this and says, actually, these guys, um, they used the wrong numbers. Oh. So while T-PICs, uh, according to their models, may still be uh, 1,000 parsecs or 1 kiloparsec or about 3,200 some odd light years away, the, um, the danger of it is incorrect. What they used was uh, the numbers for a gamma ray burst. And a gamma ray burst is much more energetic than a type 1A supernova. And with a gamma ray burst, I believe the idea is that all of the energy is aimed along two jets, one at each pole. And so, as opposed to with with a normal type of supernova, like type 1A, type 1B, type 2, type 1C, where the supernova explosion, generally all of the energy is radiated away in a sphere, with a gamma ray burst, it's pretty much concentrated along the two poles. So like a laser beam type aimed right right at Earth, that would be. Right. Um, So so they use those numbers instead of what the numbers would be for a type 1A supernova, and that's how they came out with uh, doom and gloom as opposed to what would actually happen with a type 1A supernova a kiloparsec away. Um, Not that much bad stuff. It would not destroy our atmosphere. Excuse me. It would not destroy your atmosphere. It would not create a bunch of nitrous oxide. It would not be the equivalent of a thousand solar flares hitting us all at once. Okay. So we've easily got more than ten million years to develop warp drive and yeah. you know, slap bussard ramjets on our planet and move it, uh, you know, to another safer solar system or something like that. Right. Okay. Yeah, and a good teaching moment. You you did you did stress that uh, that this information was uh, it was either sort of a, a talk given at the uh, uh, some sort of astronomy conference, or it might have been a, a poster, which you, I think you you might have explained on the very first podcast that you know uh, people just put up posters of papers they're working on at conferences. They don't even give a talk and. And there's like a little room or something where people can wander around and look at these posters. It's a big room. Yeah, oh. um, with so many people wanting to give presentations at um, at least these astronomy conferences and geology conferences, there are way too many papers that are submitted for everyone to do a talk. Because a talk takes you know 15 minutes, and you can only have a few parallel sessions before people want to attend more than one talk that's going on at the same time. So what they also have are called poster presentations, and that's where um, you create a poster as opposed to a talk, and you stand by your poster for a few hours, and uh, people who are interested come up to you and ask you questions. Oh, okay. Or they just look at your poster and then move on because they're not interested and you feel dead inside. Okay. So do you know, was this a TPEX thing? Was it it a poster or was it a talk? It was a talk. Because oh. I actually found on uh, Twitter a screenshot of the final slide of the talk. Oh, okay. And, and I guess I shouldn't even point out that I, I believe a lot of talks at these conferences aren't even peer-reviewed, right? Right. Usually, um, I say usually because it's just a rule of thumb, uh, usually the, the conferences, you submit the abstract, and the abstracts are due several months before the actual conference. Like, I will be going to a conference the first week of March called the Lunar and Planetary Society Conference, LPSC. So, conference the first week of March, 
the abstracts were due the second week of December. So you're, you're submitting an abstract, usually on work that you haven't finished, and then you're usually doing your talk or your poster presentation on, on work that you hopefully have finished um, or you're giving a progress report on, and there's almost no way that you've already submitted written the paper, much less submitted the paper, and much less gone through any sort of revisions from the peer review process. Okay. So this is kind of a way for scientists, so I guess maybe create some buzz, but also, you know, you know they, they've got, instead of like, I don't know, a dozen peer reviewers, they've got maybe thousands of peer reviewers to throw, throw ideas at them. Like, well, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Did you, you know, carry the two? Right. Right, yeah, okay. So, so that's kind of why they, they like to present these things at conferences? Yeah, and uh, these guys sort of did a you know, big epic fail where they oh. effectively didn't carry the two. Yeah, they used the wrong numbers. <laughs> okay, all right. And then the third one, the third one's most exciting. Uh, we yeah. were talking uh, Apophis, the, uh, the asteroid that it's, it's going to make a close uh, flyby, uh, pass by the Earth uh, 2029. April 13th, 2029. To be exact. That's important. That's important in the discussion coming up. Very true. Right, yes. And then, then, you know, what sort of goes around comes around. Um, So, you know, never... uh, never post on, uh, you know, the internet, you know, how wonderful your girlfriend is because internet archive, people will, will find that. And uh, years later, no, so it goes around, comes around, and that includes asteroids. So, uh, you know, there'll be a little flyby, and then the Earth's gravity will suck it back. And, and, and if it's sort of what they, they call it, they're calling it the keyhole, if it's a certain keyhole, it might, it might uh, then sort of smack into Earth on 2036. 20, right. Okay, all right. So, and then when we kind of closed up that little, uh, that's not changed, right? I mean, sorry, right. not, to, not to panic people. We know where this is going, but not to panic. People might be going, oh, my God, oh, my God, do they have more Yeah, that's not the update. It's not that uh, it's discovered that it's going to hit us. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> You'd like to tell people you're writing a book about, uh, you know, <laughs> the asteroids that's going to wipe out Earth and what you can do to make Stuart save book. you. Yes. Okay. No. No. Uh, so, uh, but the uh, in sort of our closing moments, we we I, I sort of asked you about, you know, when this whole 2012 crap sort of dies down, is is uh, you know Apophis is that going to be the so the next gravy train? The the you know the woo people are gonna are gonna are gonna ride. You know, getting on talk shows and writing books, blah blah blah. And you sort of thought, well, you know, that's a long way away. Probably not. But you know, just sort of as the words were just you know. Hanging in the air, what happened? Well, uh, we recorded the last episode on the 10th of January, and you posted it on the 12th, and then, quite conveniently, uh, on the 14th of January, on the Coast to Coast radio show, uh, George Norrie interviewed a man named Michael Horn. So who's this Michael Horn character? So for those of you who are lucky enough not to know who Michael Horn is, Michael Horn is the, quote, authorized American media representative for a person by the name of Billy Meyer. And now the question is, who's Billy Meyer? Yeah, for those who don't know who Billy Meyer is. For those who don't know who Billy Meyer is, Billy Meyer is a Swiss farmer, a one-armed Swiss farmer, who for the last... 
at least 40 years, has been uh, claiming that he has been in contact with aliens. And these aliens are from the Pleiades system. And instead of calling them the Pleiadians like most people, uh, he calls them the Plejarans. So, uh, yeah, Michael Horn is basically the media outlet in this country, and I guess other North American countries, or American countries, for a Swiss UFO guy. Which is quite humorous, because Michael Horn claims that he is not a UFO believer, (laughs) even though he solidly believes in the Billy Meyer case. Which involved... UFOs, kind UFOs. of. UFOs. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I, I should mention that it's not. It's not actually. It's not an ad hominem to refer to him as one armed because. Um, they make that claim a lot. They point that out a lot because they often say, "How could Billy Meyer, a one armed farmer, poor farmer from Switzerland, have faked all of this stuff? Right. How yeah. could he just do it with one arm?" So right. yeah, I don't mean to use that as an ad hominem. I'm just saying that because. Uh, that's the claim that they make. Yeah, sort of like as if you know, there's no way he could be holding the camera and like throwing that you know that hubcap up in the air. You know, that's sort of their their, uh, their their sort of claim. Right. And why they always bring it? He's only got one arm. You know, <laughs> people with one arm, you know, can't fake anything. Yeah. All right. So so right. So so Michael Michael Horney was on. He was on coast to coast talking about asteroid Apophis. And, yeah, you know, he wasn't giving the standard story that, no, Asteroid Apophis is not going to hit. Rather, he was saying that it was prophesized to Billy Meyer in 1981 that Apophis would hit, but that it was a prophecy that could be changed. So so he... he, he Knew all about Apophis in 1981. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive, right? And and oh yeah, that's the claim anyway. Right, and then Horn claims he's got he's got impressive evidence, copyrighted, documented evidence from 1981 that shows clearly uh, Meyer predicted it. Right, right. That's that's the claim. Yeah. <laughs> so so I actually um, for the coast to coast episode. Horn made two basic claims that I really uh, wanted to address, and so I did a you know a simple blog post about it uh, entitled "Asteroid Apophis and the Michael Horn Claims of Billy Meyer." Although I probably should have reversed those two names and said the Billy Meyer claims of Michael Horn. But anyway, um, there was one claim where he said so. What it was was in 1981, Billy Meyer claimed that the Plajarans told him that there would be a, quote, red meteor that would hit Earth, and that it would cause all this destruction that I don't really need to get into. Right. Um, so, in a way of backing this up, backing this claim up, Horn basically made two other claims, and the first one was red. You know, why did the Plajarans allegedly tell Meyer that this thing was the red Meteor, as opposed to, I don't know, chartreuse or something. Mm -hmm. So, he said that the reason they called it red was because they were using what's known as the Torino scale. And the Torino scale is a scale of 0 to 10 that basically tells you how dangerous an asteroid uh, is to Earth. Where 
zero and white is it's really no danger. It's not going to impact, and if it does, it's not going to do any damage. Red is it's going to hit, and it's going to do some decent-sized damage. And so he said that this Torino scale, which wasn't invented until, I think, 1995... In Torino, Italy. In Torino, Italy. Yeah. That's why it's called that. Yeah. So this scale, which uses red to indicate that it's going to hit, is why the Plejarans told Meyer that it was red. Right. And as sort of, you know, evidence that, you know, that Meyer had some pre-knowledge, it seemed like they were sort of trying to say that, you know, the... I mean, how would Meyer know that, you know, a decade later they would come up with this scale where something dangerous to Earth, you know, has a, you know, get, gets a rating of red? Like, how would, how would, yeah. you know, how would a one-armed farmer know that? <laughs> you know, he was yeah. way ahead of the curve or something on this. And, Right, which is actually, I think, exactly what the host, George Norrie, said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, here it was. Uh, geez, he was way ahead, and then they went into a commercial break. Uh, so, yeah, I, I basically said, okay, um, no, it was called red, or, you know, he probably picked red because red is a danger color. You know, <clears throat> stuff is red hot. Or for those of us in the United States, the Homeland Security, you know, imminent terror threat is code red or gee code red alerts or look on your dashboard of your car and if your engine is going too fast it goes into the red or if your fuel gauge if you know if your gas is low it goes red so yeah um i basically was like that that's a ridiculous claim that they called it red because they're predicting the torino scale 14 years in advance it's pretty it's pretty weak right it's a good case of retrodiction, though. Uh, if what? you want to do a spot oh. that or name that logical fallacy, it's a good case of uh, retrodiction. Right. All right. And then, and then there was sort of another another line of evidence. Yeah, there was another line, um, and I'll quote. Uh, so he says, skeptics will say, "Well, you know, he's calling it a meteor. Why isn't he calling it an asteroid?" And here's the last piece of the puzzle that I found. According to something called the Division of Planetary Sciences of the American Astronomical Society, Apophis is a, quote, good match for a rare type of stony meteorite, known as a type LL chondrite. So they gave Meyer a clue in the first part of it, red, and they told him not to call it an asteroid, but a meteor. Right. And then that's the end of the quote. All right. So, so what's, the, what's, the, what's the problem with this? The problem... and. You know, I would never have uh, – I'm not sure what the proper word is, but I, I would never have actually held that against Meyer, that he used the term meteor as opposed to asteroid or meteorite because it's such a common um, mistake that most people make that an asteroid is actually a rock in space. A meteor is when it's in the atmosphere, and a meteorite – is once it has hit the ground. So calling it a meteor, for most people, is really interchangeable with meteorite and asteroid. And I never would have actually called this out, but Horn decided to make a big deal out of it, saying that they called it a meteor because it was going to hit, as opposed to an asteroid, something that's not going to hit. But the problem there, or one of the many problems, is that they called it a meteor as opposed to a meteorite. 
So I guess they're actually saying that it's still not going to hit. It's just going to go through the atmosphere. <laughs> but yeah, um, the issue here, is, and another issue, is that um, it being a close match to a type of meteorite that we have on Earth just says what its composition is. That means that we have decent spectra of it so that we can tell what its composition and what it's made out of. And in this case, an LL chondrite is a uh, low iron, low metal chondrite. Or low, yeah, low iron, low metal. And they are relatively rare. They're the least common type of chondrites, which are the type of rocky, stony meteorites, uh, only making up about 10% of them. But since stony meteorites make up 80 to 90% of all asteroids, they're actually about 8 to 9% of all of the meteorites that we have. So really, Apophis had a 1 in 10 chance of matching an LL chondrite, which, again, is just a type of meteorite and says nothing about whether or not it's going to land. So, so, the, so the, the link seemed pretty, pretty weak. And uh, but but then you you did a bit more more digging because he uh, you know he was he started trying to tie in everything Meyer said about the 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 red meteor to uh, you know uh, and linking it to Apophis and 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 a couple of his sort of predictions or I don't know what what they are but he seems to um, Meyer seems to sort of publish these dialogues he has with. Some space aliens or something. I call the them, contact reports. Okay, I call them mescaloids, and uh, the the mescaloids. He, um, he he publishes his dialogues with the mescaloids, and then somebody types them up or something, and and bu- publishes them in a bound book or something, and then it just just goes on. I mean, he's he's been doing it for a long time. It's a bit like um, you know, like uh, Nostradamus's quatrains or. Uh, or uh, Edgar Casey, the Sleeping Prophet, you know, just these all this endless sort of stream of consciousness sort of stuff, just committed to paper, and then. And, and funny, you should bring up Nostradamus because Michael Horn is actually lately in the last few years been trying to. Um, I'm not going to say pass off, but effectively that word pass off Billy Meyer as the modern day Nostradamus, making all of these supposed predictions. <laughs> Well, so uh, so he, I, I think it was Horn. He sort of published several of these, uh, several of the things that Meyer said about um, about a puff or about the red meteor, and, and, and is using it as sort of evidence. Like, look, look how you know, look how similar this is to Apophis. And uh, so you would think it back in 1981, uh, you know, if if they somehow can predict our Tor, you know, Tor, Torino scale, that know that 10, 15 years later, ooh, we're going to come up with a scale, and it's going to be red. I don't know. They must be able to see into the future. That, that's, a little, that's a little confusing to me. But, but you know, they, does he ever mention it by, by name in any of his little... Not until 19... Or not 19, 2008. So when I first did uh, my first post, Michael Horn goes... Went or goad. He went into um, about five minutes worth of basically justifying how Meyer had predicted this, and I sort of left that as is in my first post. And then uh, the next day, uh, you kind of pushed me 
to try to do a little more research and look into it more. And so I did a second post called a follow-up on Apophis with Michael Horn and Billy Meyer documented claims. So we had the 1981 original prediction of a red meteor that is going to hit. Um, or actually, the direct quote English translation from the Plejarans is the meteor mentioned in the prophecies which will exhibit an enormous size and cause very vicious, destructive havoc on Earth, and which threatens to bring climactic and tectonic and other changes, will also threaten to split the Earth's crust from today's North Sea to the Black Sea. But this doesn't have to be true with certainty, because now certain other or certain factors speak otherwise. And that was all that Billy Meyer and his apparent or alleged Plejarans ever said, at least that's been documented, about this red meteor. Right. It wasn't until 2002 that a fan, or at least a follower of Billy Myers, asked him, or asked him if there was any follow-up about the impending red meteor. They were saying, okay, when you say impending, does that mean within the next 20 years or 50 years, or what does it actually mean? And the response from Michael Horn possibly uh, directly from Billy Meyer, but... Wait, uh, let, let me guess. I don't know. Let me guess. Billy Meyer says 2029. Yeah, that would have been nice. Uh-huh. Then, you know, you would have had something documented, but no. The response was, it is still on its way. It has not been yet been discovered. Well, quote, officially, unquote, Billy doesn't know, and then a smiley face. <laughs> Regarding the end question, no, the Earth will not explode, because the guy also asked if the Earth would explode. <laughs> Right, so he, he's you know he's a little hazy. On, he, he doesn't really answer the guy's first direct question about you know, come on, give us give us something, give us some numbers, you know, like ten years, twenty, right? right? But you know, don't worry. Like, do I need to worry about this, or you know, does my great 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 grandkid need to worry about sure, this? Yeah, yeah. Give us give us a date, you know. Put this as Doctor Novella says. Put your nickel down. But uh, <laughs> right. So when when does when does Meyer actually? You know, cough up a date. Uh, uh, Theoretically, a date provided by the uh, the Mescaloids. Slajarans. So why do you call them the Mescaloids? Because I I figured you were doing that to really tick Michael Horn off on my blog. Oh, yeah. uh, Uh, Is that the only reason? That's just sort of my stand. I mean, you know, he can call them Plejorans. You know, I I can call them Mescaloids. You know, uh, I have as much evidence that space aliens call themselves Mescaloids as he has evidence they call themselves Plejorans. (laughs) But yours isn't documented in books that have copyright dates that are legally admissible in courts. Uh, Well, I... No, I have. I am document. <laughs> I, I have it documented on the uh, BBC's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, uh, site. Their little Hitchhiker's Guide encyclopedia. I guess the BBC, BBC's version of uh, Wikipedia. I, I, I've had that documented for quite a long time. There. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So, so remember, Apophis then was discovered at the end of 2004, or at least it was announced at the end of 2004. Okay. The next mention anywhere that I could find of 2029 or 2036 or the Red Meteor was in Billy Meyer's contact report number 471, where he goes, But since we are talking about Mars, the Red Planet, the Red Meteor comes to my mind, of which it is written in a prophecy. If I remember correctly, 
He said that... Um, no, wait. Ah, there it is. He said that the great danger by the meteor would threaten Earth on the 13th of April, 2029. While at the same time, he also named a date for the year 2036. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Where did that come from? Well, from, I mean, the, suddenly, from, so, from the mescaloids. <laughs> but, but so we have no mention of any dates whatsoever or any red meteor except in 1981 and 2002. And then suddenly, four, well, not suddenly, quite a while, four years after Apophis is discovered, we have, oh, yeah, so this red meteor, it's going to threaten Earth on April 13th, 2029, which conveniently happens to be when Apophis is going to come near the keyhole. And then it'll come back in, uh, or also threaten the Earth in 2036, which also is when Apophis will come by for another close approach. So, in, uh, and this conduct report was in September of 2008, and so he's started to, or not started to, but fairly obviously retrodicted, again, the red meteor prediction or prophecy to Apophis. And then two months later, we have contact report 475, where he says... Regarding the red meteor that endangers Earth on the 13th of April, 2029, and of which we have already spoken on the 16th of September, so that was Contact Report 471, I have been asked about certain things, and therefore would like to know how big that bloke is. And in this case, I'm guessing that the translator is English, as in England English, because uh, Americans usually don't use the term bloke. Uh, So Billy continues, To my knowledge, the terrestrial astronomers have already detected it for quite some time and are calling it Apophis or something. It shall either hit Earth in the year 2029 or only whizzing by very closely. Should it be the latter case, it would reappear in the year 2036. And dot, 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 dot. So yeah, uh, two months later, he's pretty much said, yeah, this red meteor that I predicted in 1981 is actually Apophis. See, I did it. I predicted it. Yep, it's documented. So, so to sort of, sort of sum up, he, uh, b- before humans knew about Apophis, he mentions it at least twice. Uh, and on the second time, first time he mentions it, it's very just, you know, a meteor is going to hit Earth. Uh, because nobody in 19, no one before Billy Meyer, before 1981, had ever suggested a meteor, an asteroid, could ever hit Earth, right? He'd be the first one to ever cl- make that claim? Uh, no. Okay. Go, <laughs> you know, saying, I, I, you, know, you know, people, I think uh, asteroid might, might, in the fullness of time, hit Earth. That wouldn't even be kind of going out on the limb, like being really sort of next-level shit kind of idea. Yeah, as you've said uh, before, on your show, I've said it many times, an asteroid will hit Earth that will do damage. It's really just a matter of time. So So, I'll say now, I am the modern-day Nostradamus. I predict that within the next 500 years, an asteroid or comet will hit Earth that will do damage if it hits near a city that will do serious damage to that city and population. Will, will the earth ex- will the earth explode? No. Oh, all right. It's all good. All right. So, uh, picking up on that point, and then and then several 
I guess, a couple of decades later. That and, and this this is Horn sort of this is Horn's supplying all these citations as evidence, and so so then as as evidence, he sort of uh, some sort of I don't, it looks like a message board or email posting or something like that, where where someone pointedly asks him, "Give me a date." narrow it down and 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 he just sort of fobs off that and uh so right right. and then we only actually get details after uh you know scientists have known the details right you know it's almost as if the aliens had uh, the information under embargo and uh meyer wasn't allowed to release it or something oh my god (laughs) they're being controlled by steve jobs aren't they well, except Apple, Apple pro, uh, practices controlled media leaks. They're very good about that, but that's a different issue. Did Billy Myers ever say anything about, about the uh, new Apple tablet? Or the, or the, you know, I haven't seen anything about it, but, you know, we only have to wait uh, three more days. Okay, and then Billy Myers. Apple's media. All right, yeah. then the, the Billy Myers and the Mescaloids may come out saying, aha, see, we predicted uh, the, the, Apple, the Apple tablet. Yeah. So, you know, uh, so I guess, you know, a, a bit more about this Billy Meyer, Skepticality's co-host, uh, D- Derek, uh, Derek and Swoopy fame. Like, he, he sort of, he puts a lot of work into this, this Billy Meyer stuff, doesn't he? Yeah, Derek Bartholomus, I believe is how you pronounce his last name. Right, yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll put a link to it on, on, the, on the show notes. But the, uh, well, I think they're, where are they, out in California, the Independent Investigation Group or some, something like that? Yeah, they're the IIG, or Independent Investigations Group of the CFI Los Angeles, the Center ah. for Inquiry wow. in Los Angeles. Wow. So, yeah, so, so Derek, Derek's, he puts a lot of work into this, and, and it sort of... You know, he's documented all kinds of things with this Billy Meyer. But uh, even if you're just sort of, you've listened to the Skeptics Guide to the Universe, you've probably encountered this Billy Meyer. They, they've talked about it a couple times. I guess... Doc, Listen to episode 85, starting 30 minutes and 30 seconds into the episode. All right. Yeah, because I guess Dr. Novella, he's had uh, some some well-publicized email exchanges with uh, with, with, with Michael Horn. I, I, I gather... Uh, Dr. Novella is not Michael Horn's favorite person in the universe either, after maybe Derek or something. But um, th- there, there, you know, there are at least two mentions of, of Billy Meyer on Skeptic's Guide. W- one was the uh, was was a, a letter Michael Horn wrote to Skeptic's Guide, sort of basically kind of demanding that... Uh, equal time. Yeah. He beca- it's like evolution <laughs> versus intelligent design. Right. I demand equal time in the classroom. Yeah, my, yeah Michael Horn sort of wrote a, a letter demanding... To be a guest, they wanted equal time to talk about, you know, Billy Meyer, and if he didn't hear back from Dr. Novella by, you know, X date, he was going to take this as sort of a sort of a tacit uh, uh, admission that, uh, you know, Dr. Novella completely agrees with everything uh, Billy Meyer has ever said. It's just it's just ludicrous kind of uh, you know, attempt to sort of bully his way onto a show, and then and and the SGU cast was sort of like. They're like, well, it'd be fun to kind of have him on, you know, and and tear him a new one, sort of like Neil Adams style. But but they didn't want to sort of start a precedent where it's like, you know, any person out there can get on SGU by just sort of like, you know, bullying. They were threatening and cajoling their way on. So that, I thought that was a very wise decision. But there was even a earlier mention, I thought, where um, was it Billy, Billy Meyer, he claimed he had 
a photograph or a couple of photographs of these of these mescaloids who look like sort of tall blonde Nordic one blonde one brunette okay yeah it's, I think in the UFO in the UFO sort of uh, you know rainbow coalition of space aliens you know one of the uh, you know you got the greys and you, you've got the, you know the, the, the lizards and, and one of them is the, the like the Nordics these tall blonde people which, which, which I gather was some of the original uh reports of what space aliens looked like they just looked like tall blind people but before before we you know we could fly to sweden and things like that you know north americans a lot of north americans didn't really encounter a lot of blonde people and uh so 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 to them blonde people are just very very alien people so you know uh and you know now that we've got hair dye and we can fly to sweden and things like that you know blind people don't seem so alien to us anymore so now it's grays and space lizards and things but uh so yeah, but i guess i don't know so billy myers claimed he had these photographs of these these space aliens so so yeah so he, 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 even back when I, I forget when billy myers sort of released these photographs but 1983 the oh, year i was born okay so even then people are kind of like you know it kind of looks like a picture of a television screen which he then sort of explained well he was like on the spaceship and he saw it on like a little monitor. I mean, I guess, you know, these highly, highly advanced, um, uh, you know, space aliens are still using like, you know, like sort of that, you know, interlaced, uh, you know, interlaced tube monitors. Yeah. It's amazing, you know? And, uh, and then, and then I guess like a number of years later, someone had actually eventually found the source. It was, uh, a, a Dean Martin, comedy show from 1970 they were just a couple backup dancers or something right yeah <laughs> and uh yeah and and i i believe on on derek's site the uh iig he's he's got several pictures and they they even they even called they even called the dancers like the two women in the picture and and said you know is this you and they're like uh yeah <laughs> so, yeah so uh and, and then i guess i don't know i i think on sgu they sort of mentioned that then you know Billy Meyer sort of came back and said, well, you know, this is just, you know, the CIA or the, you know, the CFR. They're, they're, men in black. The men in black, sure. Their attempt to, you know, discredit me that they, that they sort of magically put this picture into my camera. Like, I don't know, I just woke up one day and this picture was on my camera and I thought maybe I must, uh, must have taken it. But I guess not. Hey, it was Dean Martin. You know, I don't know. So that was the other kind of goofy mention. So, uh, you, you know... Um, this whole Billy Meyer case is just a, just a wonderful example of, uh, you know, that you, you can never sort of pin him to the wall. That he always has a very interesting little explanation, even though it becomes increasingly unbelievable. And obvious that he's really just sort of either making it up or he's fairly deluded. Yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like the... Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it is worse when scientists sort of go wrong and stray into falsifying their data. You know, they they know they they believe the truth of what they think, but you know they don't have the data, so they kind of they kind of fake the data. You know, hoping then everybody else sort of gets on the bandwagon and kind of does the work and proves them right, kind of thing. I believe that doctor that that stem cell doc in Korea that was kind of his little game. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Or the, uh, I mean, I guess even the UFO community, you know, there some of these, sometimes these uh, uh, supposed uh, 
CIA documents that come out, you know, which are, you know, shown to be forgeries. You know, one of the ideas is that, you know, that people are forging them and putting them out there because they really do think the doc, these documents do exist. So if, if you have these documents and you think, oh, you know, uh, all this other information is coming out, it's safe for me to come out. Kind of like sort of Tiger Woods, you know. You know, there are all these allegations about these mistresses. And once one kind of stepped forward and said, you know, yeah, I had a relationship with Tiger Woods, and, you know, and she didn't mysteriously um, fall down the stairs 18 times and break her neck, you know. <laughs> they, they all sort of come out of the woodwork. So, you know, I mean, that's that's sort of, some of the psychology that goes on too. But I mean, who knows? I mean, Billy Meyer maybe believes this or, you know, he only believes half of it. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, it's a very, uh, interesting and, uh, probably frustrating. I I mean, Derek is, uh, I bet Derek just sort of, (laughs) you know, bashes his head against the wall. uh, Sometimes I'm trying to like track all this stuff down. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's impressive. I mean, the whole reason why uh, I've suddenly gotten very involved with this, which I'm hoping to uh, get out of, is that when I posted that uh, on my blog, uh, the second reply after about a day was from Michael Horn, right. uh, if that wasn't obvious to your listeners by this point. So um, Michael replied to my blog, and he his tactics for making his points are fairly childish. Um, a lot of it is name-calling. Right. Um, a lot of it is just repeating the same thing over and over and linking a lot to his site. Right. And none of it is really addressing the claims that were made. Um, you know, I emphasized to him, okay, this is exactly what I'm saying. These are the exact words that you said, and this is why it's wrong. You know, what is your response to this? And he avoids that and just goes on to something else, which is fairly typical of um, a lot of pseudoscientists and the way that they argue. Um, What is that? That's just – that's not shifting the goalposts. That's just ignoring and moving on. Sort of like a Gish Gallup type of scenario. Well, it's it's kind of an argument from authority in there where where it's sort of like, you know – this is why you're wrong about, you know, your, what you've said about, you know, Apophis, what do you got to say about that? And then he comes back and he says, well, there's this one physicist, I mean, I've never heard of this guy, who says right. that, you know, Billy Meyer gave him all kinds of ideas about hyperspace. <laughs> and, uh, but you have to be careful because um, on Derek's site, on the uh, IIG uh, website, which I assume you'll be linking to, uh, Derek actually shows, documented in the emails that are in, in his uh, other well, in both emails and in research, that Horn has really actually just sort of made stuff up in terms of uh, the uh, supposed independent scientists to have verified some of his claims. Like the one that caught my eye was on the size of trees, and Horn says, you know, these six forestry researchers, PhD scientists. Uh, have verified that these are real trees in this photo with this UFO that's circling around this tree. And so Derek actually went to these scientists and said, you know, did you ever say this? And they're like, no. (laughs) Uh, You know, I said something, you know, I estimated the height of the tree from the photograph, assuming it was a real tree, but I never said it was a real tree. And this other guy was like, 
I was never, ever connected with this in any way, shape, or form. What's this guy talking about? Right. It's almost to the point where it's like, you know, whatever you're smoking, Michael, I would like to try some. <laughs> You know, and his other sort of line of evidence is, you know, although there, there's, there's absolutely, you know, nothing in his, you know, red meter prediction that reveals he knew something before scientists knew it. I mean, if he had something documented in, you know, 1981 that said 20, you know, 2029, wow. But, you know, there's, there's just nothing there. Right. That would be very impressive. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, so when I sort of pose that to him, then he sort of, he lists like, I don't know, like. 98 50 other predictions yeah, or something <laughs> that have come true so so i i sort of point out to him like well you know why should i waste my time looking at this other crap when you know you, this one prediction is just so silly you know and uh but I, i'm sort of bu- buzzing down this list and one of them is like you know billy meyer said in like i don't know 2005 that by 2050 there will be 200 million uh, you know ref- environmental refugees and then and then, as proof this prediction comes true, you know, CNN a year later says, you know, by 2050, 200 million, you know, there'll be 200 million environmental refugees. And I'm like, well, it's not quite 2050 yet. And and uh, how is that a prediction? Like, you know, Billy Meyer and CNN have just used the same research to come to that conclusion. You know? Yeah, that would be you know just sort of standard. Demographics and population analysis. It's as I said. It's it's fairly humorous in in one way, except when you actually have to deal with it. Yeah, you have to deal with him. Your, your your approach, I think, was was the correct approach. That that you know, I I don't want to deal with this. Just here's why I think you're wrong. Give me you know what do you think about that? And and, and he even had sort of a couple other fellow travelers that I believe joined your little blog post and. Like, well, what about this? Yeah. What about that? And you're just like, well, I, I don't know. What oh. about the claim that I already addressed? Like, I'm not going to yeah. address yeah. all of these other ones. I've already spent several hours on this particular one. What, you know, what do you have to say about it? And they just ignore it. So, you yeah. know, before Horn ever replied to that blog post, I decided, you know, I told myself, okay, Michael Horn is the type of person that I'm never, ever going to be able to convince. So if he happens to find my post, and if he replies, I will reply once, and that is it. And that's what I've done. And there have been a few times where I've really wanted to post a second reply, but I've, I've bit my tongue, or I've restrained my fingers and not typed anything else out um, in response to him. You know, there have been other people saying, you know, you have no sources about this information in terms of, you know, why he might have called it red or about the LL Chondrite stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I edited the post today and I put in source for why red is dangerous. My source, common sense. (laughs) Source for what a meteor versus meteorite versus asteroid is, the dictionary. (laughs) Source for what, you know, LL Chondrites are. And then I cited in one of my geology textbooks. You know, it, it's their stuff is is uh, laughable because they really don't have a leg to stand on when they when you actually go through their claims. And I'm not about to go through any more of the claims unless in the future, you know, Meyer comes on coast to coast again and makes a specific astronomy claim, and then I'll have another field day with it. Well, but uh, this is sort of a good example of you know what, one of the features of uh, uh, especially sort of like deniers, let's say like you know Holocaust deniers or uh, you know uh, not, you know nine eleven truthers or something like that, where you, you you sort of point out you go okay well this is 
you know, here's your claim. This is why your claim is wrong. What do you have to say about that? And then they don't respond to that. They just go, well, what about the stuff over here? You know, right. and, and then if you sort of answer that, they go, they don't then sort of go, okay, well, you know, you say my claim is wrong because of X, but, you know, y- your claim is wrong because of this. They never do that. Then they jump over here and go, well, what about this over here? What about this? So they're always, I, I mean, the UFO people do it all the time, too. It's like, okay, maybe, you know, the, uh, you know, you know, that UFO, the Rendlesheim thing, you know, there's some problems yeah. there. But you just haven't looked at the great, massive bulk of, what about this case? And then if you look at that case, you're going, well, that's, that doesn't match, you know, the original witness reports. And, okay, well, what about this? You know, and it's like, well, I, I, I can't go through everything. Just give me a hunk of metal, please, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. Well, I you know one guy posted on, on as a reply on my blog. You know, you only spent two hours researching this. Yeah, of course. You know, of course you're wrong. You know, how could you possibly go through everything in just two hours? And you know, again, that was that would have violated my only I'm replying once to you rule. So I didn't reply. But you know, if I did, it would just be like, no, I spent two hours on this specific claim because that's all I really needed to do to actually read the contact reports and say, okay, there's no specific prediction here. Moving on. And you've never shaken Billy Meyer's hand, so I mean, why? Why should we trust you? All right, well, I guess enough jibber jabber about the, about this case. Uh, I guess you uh, you dis- you might have discovered something someplace of some unusual size. Can can <laughs> can we talk about that? I, I do this to you on uh, on. Uh, I am all the time. I message you. Are you going to that thing on that date with those people? Yeah, and I'm just like uh, maybe. <laughs> you know, because I know I know you scientists. You uh, at least I, I if you scientists are like you know Unix people, you like precision and and uh, when people like me sort of come along and go, uh, did you see that movie with that guy and he does that thing? It just it. Bothers. It bothers. It bothers techies and scientists and stuff like that. I don't know. So I, I'm just trying to get under your skin there, Stuart. But uh-huh. <laughs> just got to keep you on your toes. Uh, can, can you talk about that, or, or will that be another? Um, I will. I will vaguely mention it because my advisor is uh, currently. Actually, I think he's currently in New Zealand, but he was for about two months in Antarctica on the annual. Um, Antarctic meteorite expedition, and uh, I have not yet verified this with him, but I think I may have discovered a previously unknown volcano on Mars, where the uh, caldera of this volcano is approximately uh, 50 kilometers by 70 kilometers, so it's not uh, negligible. Okay, so it's, it's big, it's big. Yeah. Right, it's not like if, a... Li- if it's actually a volcano that no one else has discovered. I mean, what I did, you know, when I first thought I discovered something new was I went to the standard list. The USGS has a list of all the named features on all of the planets, and I looked through all of the Montes or Mons and Tholai and Patera, which are the various names given to volcanoes on Mars, and this was not listed. And uh, I even went to Wikipedia and looked for volcanoes on Mars, and it wasn't on that list either, which I'm guessing they got from USGS. Um... And to me, it looks like a volcano. To the guy next door, it looks like a volcano. Um, we'll uh, we'll see once my advisor gets back. And if it is, then that would be kind of cool. This is what this is why I like talking to you because like most of my other friends, when I talk to them, it's sort of like, well, I ate a whole plate of butter tarts today and I fell asleep. 
you know, in two sentences, you you have you could just uncompress them, and you know, the one sentence I may have discovered a giant volcano, extinct volcano on Mars, and, but I can't I can't really say for sure until my advisor comes home from Antarctica. I'm like, wow. Yeah, your reaction to that was, uh, yeah, those are two things, you know. Two sentences that you normally don't see every day. No, you know, it's mostly, yeah, just, we just, me and my friends just talk about butter tarts, but, uh, <sighs> all right, well, that, well, that's, we'll see. It'll be really cool if I do. All right, that's Fingers cool. Fingers crossed. All right, so, uh, any, anything else to look forward to? I, I, your, one of your blog posts, uh, about this whole, uh, Red Meteor thing, they, they've, they've reprinted it on the, uh, on the, uh, independent. The IIG. Yes, the IIG site. So I'll, I'll put all kinds of crazy links to that. And uh, any any other interesting things coming up in Stew World? Uh, not particularly. It's pretty much uh, hunker down for the next uh, month and a half, getting ready for this conference where I'm presenting uh, two posters uh, oh. um, on volcanoes. And if this actually turns out to be a newly discovered volcano, then that will also be on there. Do, and do, do you get to name it? If uh, if if it yeah, everyone's been asking me that. Um, I think probably I would be able to recommend the name, um, but uh, yeah, the official naming body, um, which I'm guessing would still be the International Astronomical Union, which is the naming body for you know, stars, planets, etc., okay. um, that they would get final say, uh, but it has to follow certain guidelines. Like, I can't name it uh, the Stuart Volcano, which is its working name at the moment. Okay. Uh, we've named it Stuart Patera for the moment, but uh, I think it would get named after the region that it's in, and the region that it's in has a specific name, so it would probably just be that volcano, which I'm trying to be purposely vague because, uh, A, I don't want to pull up Hans and Fleischmann and announce this that uh, later turns out to be not true, and... Uh, be because I don't want to get scooped in case it is true. Right, you don't want me to steal here because because I, I would if I if I discovered it like I guess maybe I can't do it, but I would like go to my local Ford dealership and say you know give me five thousand bucks you know I'll name it you know Roy Foss Ford Lincoln Mercury on Highway four ten uh, Mons. Well, I happened to uh, mention it to Phil Plate because uh, I was at dinner with him and a bunch of other people in the oh, area. Oh, just drop just drop some names. Friday, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I happened to mention it to Phil, and he's like, oh, where is this? You do know that I'm a blogger, right? <laughs> you know, he pulls out his iPhone, and I'm like, um, it's somewhere on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you're, you just call him, or you just call him Home Slice. Anyway, Home Slice. Yeah, I don't call him that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it would be cool when you get on that sort of level with Phil. Like, and Maybe, I don't know. All right. Well, I'll let you go, Stuart. Thank, thanks for coming on. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, definitely check out the, uh, the the blog postings. But don't 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 bum rush Stuart's poor blog. You know, all four thousand listeners out there don't all bum rush his blog and uh, you know start attacking Michael Horn and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm not. I'm, yeah, you know, it's kind of at the point where do you really want to continue to feed into this because. I suggest that uh, your listeners, you know, print out the comments and read it, you know, on the bus when you're really bored and have nothing better to do because they're sad and humorous at the same time, and they just go on and on saying the same thing, and 
it really re- replying to him is not going to serve any purpose other than uh, you know it'll fill up my web traffic, which is always nice. But yeah. other than that, it really wouldn't serve any purpose other than to give Michael Horn more people to argue with. Absolutely. All right. Well, have a good night, Stuart. Uh, you too. All right. Bye-bye.